0: All right, I'm going to go in the intro now. All right, hit it. You're listening to season two, episode five of Hip Squared, American Fantastics pop culture podcast, celebrating everything to the mainstream, to the independent, weird, old, and local.
1: Troy, how's it going? John, did you know that 1,353,000 casualties occurred during the Vietnam War?
0: Way to bring it down, man. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, it's going to be kind of a downer episode on when my you, end. When he
0: started it, I thought it kind of was, um, reminded me of bill and i the science guy do you remember that segment <laughs> did, did you know
1: that i mean that's what i was going for except he never had facts that were that depressing no, i don't think i mean yeah he never, i mean well hey now you know yeah that, that episode of
0: bill and i already explained how to make napalm <laughs> does he <laughs> do that but yeah it's like orange juice and gasoline right? oh no, that's, that's right from fight club i don't even think i'm that's pretty true. sure
1: it's uh sticky taffy and um gasoline it's definitely gasoline Yeah,
0: well, I know napalm was developed by Dow Chemical. Yes. Makers of Tupperware. (laughs) Dow
1: Chemical is (laughs) the makers of way too many things. Half of everything. Yeah, pretty much. If it's made of plastic, (laughs) Dow Chemical either thought of it originally or makes it now. Yeah, it's,
0: and I think it was uh, experimented with World War II and then, yeah, used in Vietnam, which is what Troy. So you said million plus
1: it was a million three hundred and sixteen thousand is that what I said and only and
0: only about three hundred fifty th- f- three thousand and only about sixty thousand of those people were American
1: um this is all according to Wikipedia facts by the way and we're looking at American I think
0: American it's in the fifty eight
1: thousand so, or so yeah allied military deaths is two hundred and eighty two thousand but it does I don't have uh, specific mil- uh American deaths I can yeah, look that up real quick that's, but that's it really was heavy. it was way too many
0: Way too many. Okay. We'll go into your depressing Right. (laughs) So,
1: um, yeah. So, I'll start this off with uh, years ago at this point, uh, I asked uh, our Uncle Pat, what is a good book to read to give me for like modern history? I wanted a good modern history book because I didn't... When I was in grade school, we didn't talk about modern history. And when I was in high school, I didn't get that deep in history classes. I think
0: when in school history ends at World War Two,
1: <laughs> Right, right. And, like, so I didn't, like, I don't, I didn't know anything that had happened, like, from the 50s forward, which is, like, the, I don't know, some of the things you'd, you'd think you'd want to know within, like, the most recent stuff. That's what, that's what really matters now. Um, so I asked him, like, what's a book I should read? And he, his immediate answer was Nixonland. And his, uh, when I asked him that again, like, a few years later, or no, a few months later, because, like, I'd either forgotten it or... Um, I was thinking, like maybe maybe that was just like because he maybe he had just read it mm-hmm. and he had a different opinion now because he was reading something now. He's like, no Nixon Land. Um, so Nixon Land is um, from what I've read online in terms of reviews is kind of the quintessential book on uh, the 1960s okay. and the book itself cover or um, the 1960s and around that Vietnam War era. The book itself covers uh, 1965 to 1972, and it talks about Um, the political environment at that time and kind of how um, everything was uh, started out sort of hunky-dory with... uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's the 60s, so I don't think I'm that far off. Uh, Hunky-dory with Johnson uh, coming in in right after JFK's death, the civil rights movements, uh, the civil rights legislation that had been going through... I think the
0: 65 was the Voting Rights Act...
1: Um That's probably what demarcates that year. Probably. And it was an, well what they demar what they marked it at was I think the Watts riots. I think okay. that's where it starts. Okay. Um and from there it it goes on to define essentially this huge split in the um American class system and American ideologies. Um And the book focuses a lot on, and it comes a lot back to this idea of the Franklins versus the, um, oh man, I have it here as uh, Orthogonians, (laughs) but I know that's not right. Do what are you what talking about? about
0: franklin like what is the context here the i know a lot about is... this period in american history but i don't know those two terms
1: well that's that's the thing is that it was specifically for this book is oh, like oh, his idea that he had come up with it was um when nixon was at uh cambridge i believe mm-hmm. um there were two class groups where the franklins where these privileged elites had gotten in through uh parents names okay. f- uh funding and the um, Orthonians, Orthogian, I would have to look it up, which is terrible because I've been reading this book, are the were essentially these people that were like striving for the so- social status. Okay. Um, and how it talks about how Nixon was the leader of that second group. Uh, and he was essentially the people's man. He was advertising himself as the people's man while still while focusing mostly on the people being the middle class at the time. Okay. Um, So.
0: Okay, I think it's the Orthogonians. Orthogonians. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay, good. It was hard. So those are like the more
0: sort of the earth people that get in on their own merits and the Franklins are the people who just get in
1: because of their because of who they know and where they've been okay um so nixon was uh trying to push for the uh for the social strivers and trying to be a representative of them now by doing that it means that he alienated both the franklins and since he was focusing on the middle class uh, alienates a lot of the lower of the uh, lower class um of those in poverty at the time um And the book itself is pretty dense, and is kind of is a pretty uh, pretty hard read. Mm -hmm. It's something that um, I've tried multiple times reading on plane trips, and like I can get through some of it, but after about an hour, you just need to like put it down and put it put it down, like turn your head, wake up, and figure out what's going on because it's it like it is just it is very dense, and it's very dense for a good reason. It has a lot of material to present, but um, it talks. And builds on this deep rift that started to come up in American so- society because of this. And that was between those in the middle class and those uh, in poverty. Yeah, I As guess some-
0: before that time, they'd been united under the New Deal and Democrats, um, like old school Democratic ideals.
1: Mm-hmm. And the... the what it was is those that New Deal and the old uh, Old South Democratic had taken a lot of these people from poverty and moved them up to the middle class, and what the people in the middle class at this time now feared was either being drugged back down, or, God forbid, being the uh, people in poverty being brought up to them, because as everybody knows, your social status is as only as good as those who are below you. Well, I also know that a lot of
0: the New Deal policies benefited white people more than minorities so a lot of those people that got brought up to the middle class were probably white union workers not poor black people
1: right and i've been saying those in poverty a lot one those in poverty i'm talking about those in urban centers mm-hmm. uh the people that were rioting during watts um the section of the book that i'm at now and i will also preface this with i'm only about a quarter of the way through a book through the um, book uh, i haven't been able to finish it yet but where i'm at right now uh they're talking about a lot of the different um, riots that were happening across the US. And not just the social uh, issues that the people in poverty were going through, but how the middle class were reacting to them. And it's kind of scary, because you can draw so many similarities to what we're seeing today, um, in terms of how the middle class is acting to immigrants and is acting to um, people from like essentially people that are non-white and what we're seeing in terms of um, like the terrorism that uh, white male Americans are.
0: I'd say, well, a lot of people now are even comparing Donald Trump to Nixon and a lot of that same kind of rhetoric of Fearing minorities and stoking white resentment goes back to Nixon and the Southern strategy and kind of like hijacking white working class and poor voters from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party based on that racial resentment or that kind of like fear of the other.
1: Mm hmm. And it's it's. It's just scary seeing the seeing those similarities and how easily they transfer through.
0: Well, even to all of the rhetoric that went against hippies mm-hmm. and the elite, you could even kind of compare that to like
1: hipsters and mm-hmm. the Occupy movement. And I was gonna say LGBT, yeah, uh, LGBTQ as like and and the hipsters as well, but like that community's really been. Um, kind of looked like they're having a lot of issues similar to how the hippies did at the, as well at the time.
0: Yeah. A little generationally too, between mm-hmm. millennials and back then it was right. baby boomers.
1: And it's, it is really interesting to see how um, a lot of who would have been the baby boomers at the time uh, were arguing against these causes that now the millennials are arguing against the baby boomers don't like, like it's <laughs> the, that comparison is really interesting to see. Um, and uh, since we're ta- since it's talking about Nixon and um, the political atmosphere in the U.S., it has no choice but to start talking about the Vietnam War and the situation that uh, LBJ essentially got himself into and mm-hmm. couldn't figure out how to get out of.
0: Yeah, it was a real. Quagmire <laughs> to borrow a term that was also reused in the early two thousands to describe the Iraq
1: war. Right. Yeah, it's um and and like the and the reason I wanted and uh what was really interesting for me is completely coincidental. Um at the same time that I was reading Nixon Land and started reading Nixon Land at one point during that I started also watching the Ken Burns documentary on the Vietnam War. Oh
0: man, I heard that's really heavy. It too.
1: is it is very heavy. Um
0: is that out on a streaming platform now? Is it on Netflix? Or... Yeah, it's on Netflix.
1: So you can okay. you can watch it anytime. It's about Mark Maron was a big fan of that. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a really good documentary. It's very heavy. Um, each episode covers about two to three years. Um, and I think it's a 10-part series and has and lasts about 18 hours. And it goes
0: all the way back to the French colonial period in the 50s. Does it end in the 75 or does it go all the way up to... Uh,
1: it ends in 73, I have it here. So it starts in the colonial period from 1858. So the first episode is just from 1858 to 1861. And okay. that's to get you a gist of like, this is what the Vietnamese had already dealt with up until the Americans started to interfere. I mean,
0: imagine fighting off invasions from China and Japan and Korea and all those other countries Mm -hmm. around
1: it. Well, essentially it was Vietnam wanted to be its own country and it was sick and tired of other people sticking their nose into their business. Um, And that was, uh, from what I've read, watched and understand, that was one of the biggest issues they had was like, they wanted elections but if they had elections they were probably going to elect a communist leader yeah, and and, and that's why the US kept intervening
0: basically the the western forces staged a coup in the early 60s i believe mm-hmm. there's a democratically elected socialist leader that was assa- either assassinated or driven out of power and then they put in their own like strong man who was at least going to be against the communists
1: well there was a lot of different leaders that had gone through the uh, through south vietnam um, and i I can't remember any of their names at this point, but um, they had um, at each time had their own issues. Uh, One was originally elected in. One was, I think, elected in under false uh, representation. Um, One was a general that had performed, I think the general you're talking about, performed a coup and taken over, and then he was pushed out. And all of these issues were um, just centered around, like South Vietnam had so many, like, had so many outside influences yeah, from and the then rest Ho Chi, of
0: Vietnam. Ho Chi Minh was kind of like their Mao Tse yes. figure,
1: and it, but he was in, but he was based around North Vietnam. But I
0: mm-hmm. thought
1: North Vietnam and South Vietnam
0: was just kind of like the front lines. Like I didn't know that was defined politically before the Vietnam War. Wasn't that?
1: Uh, it was. I think it was defined in the Vietnam War, and it was it was more that uh south vietnam was everything from what i can tell south vietnam was everything that wasn't hanoi okay um and everything that wasn't um am i thinking of that right was a hanoi or was it well, different? Hanoi is in
0: the north and saigon's yeah. in the south
1: yeah it was everything that wasn't hanoi was because hanoi was where um a lot of the resistance was building up in the north and that's why it had been bombed like so horrifically uh throughout those and years it's also
0: closer to china mm-hmm. so it was but most of what Nixonland is about is the American side of things like what's going on in the United States, but by extension also in Vietnam.
1: Right. It's all about, so Nixonland is all about American politics and you couldn't talk about American politics from 60, uh, from the late 65s without talking about Vietnam.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I, I, um, have a very romantic version, vision of the 60s in my mind. I grew up listening to the music and Mm -hmm. watching the Woodstock movie and just even the history and the politics of the time. It all seemed very exciting to me and very fascinating. But I think too, if I had actually lived in the 60s, then it would be kind of horrifying. And um, our mom grew up in the 60s. She was a teenager. And I asked her like, why isn't there as much 60s nostalgia. As there is nostalgia for the 70s and the 50s. And she said, "Well, the 60s are just a really awful time." It's like, okay. <laughs> and that that makes sense. Um, I
1: mean, when you have when you have young men going off to war for a cause that you know many many people didn't think was um, just or viable or reasonable cause, you're going to have a lot of um, unhappiness. Yeah. a lot of disgruntled. Parents, mothers, um, wives, mm-hmm. and on the home front. So, and yeah.
0: so in, I guess since it ends in seventy-two, you said that's when Nixon lands. Uh, yes. So it uh, must seventy-two. End, so that must end with his re-election.
1: Um. I think so. Uh, yes, it does end with his reelection. And only barely, and uh, from what I was reading because I haven't read all of Nixonland either. Only barely talks about Watergate. It's it, like kind of on the periphery. Is there
0: a sequel or a follow up about that,
1: or is it? I think I think that's what um, Rick Perlstein, who's the author, wanted to cover. Um, and it, it the book more than anything talks about the divide that was created in American society. Um, It talks about this divide because right now I am reading all about how um, horribly um, minorities and those in poverty and urban centers were treated and how they had just nothing to go with. So they were trying to. That's why um, I believe it was Cleveland, Detroit. Those cities, like, were having these riot, or not Detroit, but Cleveland, um, Watts were having these riots essentially to draw attention to themselves. They were burning their city down to draw attention to. Um, the tragedy that they were current, that they were living in. It's, it's a really hard
0: thing to understand. And you think about the efficacy of political violence and even today, I've read statistics that place neighborhoods where the riots occurred in the sixties still haven't recovered to the extent that we would, and of course they weren't great to begin with, but, um,
1: they're, they're not the same. In they're they not the have. same.
0: And another weird legacy of that time, we have iron bars in our front doors, like security door. And I've always imagined that the reason those bars are there was because the people living here in the sixties were afraid of riots spilling over into their neighborhood. Um, and that's just conjecture, but I, I believe it. A lot of people were putting bars in their doors and windows back then because well, scared white people for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Troy, did you have anything that you wanted to say else about Nixonland before we start wrapping up this topic, or?
1: Um, it's a dense book, but it's been really good so far, and it has. My goal was—I don't know anything about modern history—has taught me a ton, mm-hmm. um, and that's why I prefer, I like going with multiple sources. Right now, this is a great source; it cover it tries to cover both areas. Right. Um, but it's cool. it has been really good.
0: Well, Troy, I want to thank you for honoring my <laughs> legacy <laughs> and uh, talking about this great topic, as has been the ghost of Richard Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I couldn't figure out how to get my Richard Nixon impersonation there, but
1: I mean, you were channeling Richard Nixon's head from Futurama excellently. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well,
0: um, oh, I was, was going to ask you one last question before we leave this topic. Did you dip your toe into the audiobook at all?
1: Uh no I haven't. But um, I imagine it exists. Uh probably. I know it's a it's a very well-known book. I seen I saw a lot of reviews saying it's like it's a quintessential books on the 60s. There's almost certainly an audiobook on. Okay. it.
0: Well if if any of you audiophiles out there um want something else to listen to between podcasts, then I also recommend audiobooks in general and Nixon Land specifically if you're curious about uh this topic. Okay, switching gears. Um I'm going to talk about a podcast recently released by Marvel and Stitcher called Wolverine the Long Night. This is Marvel's first podcast. It is a scripted podcast starring the titular Wolverine. It's written by Benjamin Percy, who's a science fiction author. It's voiced by Richard Armitage, among others. And each episode is about a half an hour long it's kind of got a S- S- files vibe to it. It feels more like a noir or X-Files kind of show than a comic book show or movie. So don't expect a lot of over-the-top action sequences or a lot of superheroes and powers and that kind of side of things. It's more of a show about a science fiction invest, uh, sorry about a a police investigation into murders tied to what becomes a science fiction plot.
1: I was going to ask if Wolverine wore a Brown trench coat the whole time. <laughs> um, and like was smoking says, these things are going to kill me one day.
0: <laughs> there is kind of that kind of vibe to Wolverine, but in this version, he doesn't have many memories of himself as Wolverine. He knows that he's a part of Weapon X. He's on the run from Weapon X. And those of you that aren't into the Marvel Universe, I, I'm going to imagine that you know at least who the character Wolverine is. This is the person who has the claws. Hugh Jackman plays him in the movies. He's got the kind of crazy hairdo. In the comics, he is born with a healing factor. So if you cut him, he, he would heal within seconds. And what this allows for Weapon X to do, which is this kind of like shadowy governmental organization run by like military scientists to put an adamantium skeleton on Wolverine and turn him into a living weapon. And in the comics and in the podcast, I believe you could go into it either way. You don't have to be so familiar with the Marvel universe, but it I believe it does kind of trust that you have at least a familiarity with the Marvel universe and Wolverine as a character. Um, he escapes Weapon X, but in the process, he loses a lot of his memories from before he went into Weapon X. So he knows his name is Logan, and he's he knows that well, uh, Weapon X is after him. And in the podcast, you learn that he's left New Orleans hmm. to get away from Weapon X, and he's now in Alaska. The entire series from beginning to end takes place in a towns called Burns, Alaska, which I believe is a fictional town. It's on the coast of Alaska. There is a fisherman. Uh, Logan begins as a fisherman trying to escape himself and his past. And then he's kind of brought into this conflict of this dark, corrupt, small town that's run by this very wealthy family called the Langrocks, who are running drugs through the town but also own the timber industry. They own a lot of the fishing and the canning that's going on there. And so he gets tied up in that, and the reason that the FBI is there is because there's all these murders going on in Burns, and they say that they're there to help the local police department, but what you soon discover is that they also have this ulterior motive of finding Wolverine, tracking him down, and bringing him back to Weapon X.
1: Mm. So, FBI's working with Weapon X. I see. So... when uh, one...
0: these are all kind of like in the first few episodes, but there's much
1: more that gets revealed throughout the series. Okay. Is Wolverine like a social justice character, like trying to sh- stop these people from smuggling drugs and all that? Stop the, uh, the land... The Lang Langrocks. Langrocks from smuggling it drugs? Kind of... Or is he totally in there uh, helping them?
0: I think what the way that it's presented in the show is that he's kind of defending the downtrodden people of this town. Okay. And the Langrocks are kind of taking advantage of everybody and then it, if there's any opposition, you're put down. Oh, classic social uh, class fighting. I love it. Exactly. And there is a little bit of I guess a social consciousness to it because there is a native Amer- there's a few native american characters. Who are treated, I think, fairly respectably. Like, they're not, that's not how they're defined. They just kind of like happen to be mm. Native American. Um, there also are these cool characters called the Strawberry Kids, and they're feral children whose father was an eco terrorist radical oh, God. <sighs> who brought them to Alaska to sabotage the oil and timber industries okay. happening out there. And then after his death, they kind of keep. Performing these acts of terrorism on their own, and Wolverine kind of becomes their defenders too.
1: Wait, wait. <laughs> yeah,
0: so it's 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 a very um, kind of like complicated web that the FBI agents are untangling.
1: Okay, and um, so are we are we watching this through Wolverines? No, so or the FBI agents.
0: The FBI agents are Agent Pierce and Agent Marshall. It's a very I keep saying X Files, but it's it's definitely one of the strongest influences on this podcast. Okay. Anytime you have a man and a woman FBI agent, I feel like that leads you directly back to Motor and Scully. Um, mm-hmm. Also, you have the slightly more serious woman matched off with the slightly less uptight male. Yeah. Um, they're... All the story is told from their two perspectives.
1: Oh, okay,
0: okay. And they are often working together. They're in the same scenes with each other. And they, by extension, interview witnesses who then, in flashback form, will describe events as if they're happening in real time. Okay. Um, One of the... (laughs) more frustrating parts of the show, especially toward the beginning of the series, is how little
1: Wolverine is actually in it. I was wondering about that. Like is it is it like he just shows up, they're talking to him all the time, or is it he's the he's the mystery that they find at the end of the episode? In the first episode, he's somebody who's only talked
0: about. Okay. Um and in the very first episode, what brings them what brings them out there as FBI agents is that there is a fishing vessel that's found in out to sea, and everybody on board has been murdered. Mm. And the way they've been murdered is you think it's because Wolverine is sliced into pieces because they're not shot. They're all, like, stabbed. or. So it's like looks like
1: a bear attack has happened on it yeah, or something. Yeah, or like some
0: serial killer has gone through and killed everybody. But the other part of it is that the – they. There's a suspicion that there's been drugs being smuggled through this fishing vessel. And then there's one survivor who wasn't even on the boat, but called in sick to work. And so he's, of course, the first suspect. Mm. But from there, it kind of goes into the Langrocks, which are kind of like the antagonists. There is a, also this group of people called the Aurora cult, who are this weird religious cult that are all about the night and they're because of course in Alaska mm-hmm. in winter, it's night all the time. Like the midnight sun, well, no, the midnight sun is the summertime, but the long night title refers to this Aurora cult and they're kind of wanting to bring forth. So there's all these different suspects, people you think might be behind the murders, um, that are going on throughout town. And eventually you do learn what's happening. There is a super villain hmm. who, from my research, seems to be an original character. You think it might be Sabretooth. I thought it was going to be the Wendigo, which is this kind of like, um, it's based on Native American folklore, but it's sort of this person who can transform into this giant wild werewolf. So like the chupacabra? Kind of, yeah. Okay. Um, But it's really neat the way that it kind of unfolds. It's a very slow boil. Mm -hmm. um, And I think that's what reminds me of Noir, because in a lot of Noir novels, a slow boil just means that the action doesn't happen right away, that there's a lot of character development, exposition, and then maybe a halfway or two-thirds through the narrative, all hell breaks loose, and then there is a lot of action, there is a lot of violence, and then it's kind of all wrapped up toward the end of the story. And that's kind of the way this one proceeds. Um, If... I had any critique of it. I would say that there's not enough Wolverine in it, but I think that might partly be the fanboy in me wanting that.
1: So, yeah. So it's like, if you're, it's one of those, if you're going to name your show Wolverine and plan on talking about Wolverine, you should talk about Wolverine more. (laughs) Wolverine is
0: definitely one of the main characters. And I think he's what makes this a Marvel story. and, And he's kind of like the, the center that the story revolves around. What's different is that Wolverine, the story is not told from Wolverine's perspective. So you hear like voicemails that Wolverine leaves or letters that he writes or uh, interviews that he gives to the investigators. But there's very little story told from his perspective. And so part of what I was reading online today that... I, I I kind of agree with is that the story is trying to build some of the mystery up about Wolverine because for the vast majority of his history as a character, all the way from the seventies through the mid two thousands, you never knew his origin. Mm-hmm. You know, his real name was Logan, but of course that's only one name. You don't know very much about him before weapon X, and until the origins series was released in the mid 2000s you didn't know about his backstory Mm -hmm. so what this show does is it cultivates this kind of air of mystique about him and since he himself doesn't even really remember who he was it kind of thrusts the audience back into that perspective now if you're really into marvel you'll know all those things but if you're just somebody who's kind of familiar with the cinematic universe we less familiar with Wolverine, then it kind of builds that mystique about who is this person? Who is he really? Um, the one thing I think it does do well is it separates Wolverine from the X-Men. Mm-hmm. It makes him his own character, and it also makes the character of Logan kind of overshadows Wolverine as a superhero. So you're going to listen to the show all the way through? Yeah, I to the entire series. Oh, it it's, is all out, okay. It's 10 half hour episodes there are a lot of ads but you can use the 30 second skip button (laughs) one thing that i and this is a critique more with the medium and not with this show in particular but i like it when the hosts read the ads Mm -hmm. in podcasts um i think that adds a lot of flavor to it it makes and i will actually listen to the ads if the host is reading them or one of people involved in the show. But these are kind of like ads like you would hear on the radio where they're already scripted and then they're released. And then the other thing that drove me crazy about the show, and I don't know if this is going to be something that happens with podcasts going forward, but especially the early episodes, it felt like the ad volume was higher than the show uh, volume, which is another thing that's like TV. I hope it's just that show. Yeah, I hope so. But, um, There's already going to be a second season. I think it's going to have a different subtitle instead of The Long Night. I don't think it's going to be in Alaska, but I think it's going to be the same voice actor and the same writer. Um, And Oh, the other thing about it is it was originally released on Stitcher Premium. I think if you paid for Stitcher Premium, you could either get all the episodes at once or you would get them six months before they were released. Okay. I think on Stitcher Premium they were released twice a week for like um, you know a month and a half and then you had all the episodes I think on the free feed which is how I listen to them they came out about six months later once a week mm-hmm. but now they're all out you don't have to wait for any new episodes to come out so you can just binge them all at once um, I do recommend it I I think that my criticisms are probably more to do with what I'm used to a superhero story being. But if you go into it with an open mind, it's definitely tightly scripted. The voice acting is good. The audio production is good. It tells a really neat story. And there's a really cool twist at the end that I didn't see coming. Um, and the only hint I'll give is that the FBI agents are not who they seem to be. Hmm. And that's what you find out in the final episode. Hmm. So... Um, this did make me excited for hopefully more Marvel podcasts coming out. I thought another really cool one. So there's all these shows like Riverdale coming out. Right. Um, where they kind of take these old teen shows and kind of mature them. Mm-hmm. And uh, th-
1: Sabrina was another exactly. one. Exactly.
0: So I thought if they created a version of Spider-Man crossed with Riverdale, where hmm. it was a lot of the teenage drama of the high school Hmm. Kind of part of the series. And then they crossed that with Spider-Man actually being Spider-Man, you know, once an episode. I thought that could be a really cool podcast, scripted podcast. It would have a bigger cast, but I thought that would be a neat thing to do. As far as I know, however, the next season of Wolverine is the only scripted Marvel podcast that's coming out. I think it kind of depends on how many people paid for the show on Stitcher. How many ads they could sell for the free show and how many subscribers they get. By.
1: Right. And how just like the general success of it all.
0: Exactly. But that's my recommendation. Cool. All I,
1: right. It's getting the the JB recommendation. <laughs> exactly. There's um
0: some cool scripted podcasts if you're into that. There's another one that's really neat called The Black Tapes, which also has an X Files vibe. I'd say that one's kind of like X Files meets serial. It's a scripted horror drama and what a docudrama is is it's kind of like a documentary but it's scripted so it takes the form of a documentary but it's fake so instead of like um what christopher guest did with spinal tab when he made it into a comedy imagine that but it's an actual drama hmm. so that's what a drama is there um i think last season i talked about the there was one other the, one there's a BBC version of the odyssey that's really cool oh
1: i thought you were, wasn't there one about the uh, sci-fi noir show that you were talking about I can't, that wasn't that was a that would have been a scripted podcast as well but i can't remember the name of it i that can't now. remember
0: there's another one that the bbc produced called Tumen bay which is neat it's kind of like game of thrones but set in medieval egypt during the slave trade
1: if you're looking for another good scripted podcast the original hitchhikers guide to the galaxy podcast through bbc is really good
0: is it okay that was like a podcast before podcast because that was yeah. a radio show <laughs> yeah that's Sorry, really good.
1: Right. i think i listened to it as a podcast at one point but
0: and i think on the american fantastic radio or it might have been i can't remember if it was hip squared but at some point i talked about the star wars radio shows um those are really good too so scripted podcast scripted radio shows they're definitely a neat genre um Kind of similar to it's kind of like halfway between an audiobook and an actual play. So those are all really cool. Um, Wolverine the Long Night is among the most recent, but there's plenty in there for you to sink your teeth into or your claws if you would like to. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. Let's close it out. All right. Let's close it
0: out. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to Hip Squared. If you'd like to help the show, the best way to do that is to like us on Facebook, share us on social media and become a member on patreon if you search for american fantastic on patreon you can become a member for as little as a dollar a month you can also now find us on apple podcast you can subscribe rate and review us any five star reviews would be more than welcome and um, if we can get enough of those we can get a rating to appear on apple podcast but even if you just leave one you can actually read the script that you leave behind so if you write a short review that helps us too You can also check out americanfantastic.com, find all of the cool writing, podcasts, music, art, photography, and all kinds of things that are up on the site now. We still have a fairly recent fall update that you can check out if you would like to. I did want to thank danosongs.com for the intro and outro music for the podcast. Thanks, Dano. And this episode like all of our episodes was produced by mayplex monk if you'd like to check out more of mayplex's work you can go to mayplexmonk.com last but not least did want to bear all of you a fond adieu troy did is there anything i was forgetting Nah, man i think we got it all all right we'll see you next time toodles toodles